The reading is from Isaiah chapter 8. The Lord said to me, take a large scroll and write on it with an ordinary pen, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. So I called in Uriah the priest and Zechariah son of Jeberechiah as reliable witnesses for me. Then I made love to the prophetess and she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to me, name him Maher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to say my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices over Rezin and the son of Remaliah, therefore the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the river, the king of Assyria with all his pomp. It will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks, and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Thank you so much, Karen. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Madhush. I'm one of the ministers here at uh, Trinity Church. Uh, let me add my welcome to Jeremy's um, and wish you the very best this Advent season. Uh, there is something uh, really delightful about getting together and singing Christmas carols and carols that remind us um, about the king of the universe who took on flesh and entered the world. Uh, do keep your service sheets open in front of you with that passage. We're going to be dwelling on that for a little while. What's your instinct when you get scared? Where do you go? What do you do? Our kids are a little socially anxious. A few years ago, when they were quite young, we had a palisade fence at the front of our yard. And as long as they were in the yard and the gate was closed, they would happily wave and chat at whoever happened to be passing down the street that day. But the moment we opened the gate and somebody walked in, they would panic. They'd run off and hide, or they'd grab tightly onto one of us while burying their faces in our clothes, hiding in their safe person. You see, the fence set up this illusion of security. But as soon as that first defense was breached, they would run to whom they trusted the most. 
Where do you run when those things that give you an illusion of security are stripped away? Say you lose your job, or a close relationship breaks down, or you get a bad health diagnosis. Who do you trust when your physical safety, your emotional well-being, your basic provision gets threatened? See, that is exactly what the people of Judah under King Ahaz were facing. They were in serious danger. And you should know that King Ahaz was not a good guy. He had led the nation astray. He had built altars and shrines to false gods. He practiced pagan worship, even to the point of sacrificing his own son. And the people of Judah happily followed him. God judged them, and he handed them over to their enemies. Well, the northern kingdom of Israel, it's represented by Samaria in verse 4 had allied with Syria, which is represented by its capital, Damascus, in verse 4. These two nations, Israel and Samaria, had come together against Judah. And this wasn't a theoretical prospect of war. Uh, There wasn't just some political posturing going on. No, this was brutal. Ahaz had suffered heavy defeats. In one horrific day, 120,000 men were killed, including Ahaz's own son and his senior officials. The nation was looted. 200,000 women and children were taken captive. Let that sink in. There was real threat. And while all of this was going on, Judah's other neighbors, the Edomites, the Philistines, they launched raids of their own. It's like sharks smelling blood in the water and circling around the prey. What would you do in that situation? When you're pushed into a corner with nowhere to run, or to press the metaphor, when you're just keeping your head above water, but you're bleeding and the sharks are circling, what does your heart grasp at? Do you dig deep for inner strength? Try to punch that shark in the nose and show it who's boss? Do you call in favors? Do you sell yourself to the highest bidder just to try and get out of the mess. I'll tell you what I do. My tendency is to desperately look around for someone who's got connections, someone who might be willing to help me. That was my daily struggle for the last couple of years. I was an unemployed immigrant in the middle of a pandemic under virtual house arrest. I didn't know where the money to pay the bills was going to come from. I felt alone 
and afraid. I knew all these truths about God, but my heart wasn't persuaded that he cared enough to do something. And so every day, I was tempted to rely on my own strength, to grope around in search of someone who might be able to help. And that is exactly what Ahaz does. God had said to him through Isaiah in chapter 7, just before the bit that we've read, God had said to him, keep calm, don't be afraid. It's like patting Ahaz on the back and saying, I've got this. Turn from your wickedness and trust me, I'm here to help you. But Ahaz doesn't buy it. Ahaz looks around and he sees devastation. The nation is falling apart. He's got no room left to maneuver politically. And so instead of trusting God, he looks to the might of Assyria for help. Assyria was the superpower of the day. And so in a final throw of the dice, Ahaz empties out the treasury and pays this huge bribe, a tribute to the king of Assyria to get him involved. And you know what? It works. <laughs> it works. He gets the king of Assyria involved, they come to Judah's aid, and within a few years, both those threats, Israel and Syria, were removed. The pieces were knocked off the board. What do you think? Did Ahaz make the right call? Would you have done the same? You see, before all of that played out, God gave Judah a sign. Now, to be fair, it was an unusual sign. In that kind of desperate need, you're looking for strength. You're looking for decisive leadership, someone who's going to come in and turn the tide. If, if you enjoy fantasy, in the second installment of The Lord of the Rings, there's this massive battle at Helm's Deep. The good guys are under the pump. There's this monstrous army bearing down on them, and they are virtually being overrun. But three days earlier, the wizard Gandalf had gone off on one of his mysterious missions, and he'd said to them on the third uh, morning, look to the east. Well, at that time, the, the battle's going horrifically, and they look to the east, and on the horizon, there's this massive mounted army that rocks up. And they come sweeping down, smash the enemy in the flank, and completely turn the tide of the battle. Now, that's a sign. That's a pretty good sign. If you want a sign, that's what you want. That is not what Judah gets. Do you know what they get? A baby. A weak, helpless baby. We came across him last week. A baby boy called Emmanuel to show the people that although they did not trust him, God would still be faithful. That God really was with them. 
they weren't facing this danger alone. And if they turned to him, he would come to the rescue. Well, that sign, the sign of the baby, takes on a little more color here in Isaiah 8. Isaiah's wife gives birth to another son, Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. If anyone's looking for baby names, you know where to go. Roughly translated, that name means quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. You'd have to be brave to name that your child that. And this kid, Maharshalal Hashbaz, appears to be the initial fulfillment of that Emmanuel sign, that God will come to the aid of his people. Because before this child is old enough to speak, verse 4, the wealth of Samaria and the plunder of Israel will swiftly be carried off. Their defeat is so sure that all thought is on the plunder, the riches that is there to be had, not on the fighting that comes first. Israel and Syria will be toothless in a little while. Don't be afraid of them. In spite of King Ahaz's unfaithfulness, the Lord is showing the people of Judah that he can still be trusted. He will still step in and save the day. And the sign, the thing that helps them to exercise trust today in what God will do tomorrow is this child. A picture of strength in apparent weakness. It may not look like God is doing very much. In those couple of years of unemployment, um, lost in a foreign country, the challenge was that every day it just didn't look like God was doing anything. The circumstance didn't change. It was hard. It was a struggle to believe that what God said was true. It may not feel like God is with you in your suffering as you're dealing with one struggle after another. Or in a world that is torn by sin, where evil lurks around every corner, it may not look like there is a good God who cares. He was saying to the people of Judah then, and he is saying to us today, look at the child. Look at the child and see how I have acted to deliver. You can trust me. God's actions in the past give us confidence that he will keep his word in the future. God will rescue, but he will also judge unbelief. Take a look at verses 6 to 8 and try to picture it, visualize it. Verse 6, because this people, the people of Judah, has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh, 
There was a gentle stream that flowed into Jerusalem, supplying it with water. Because the people have rejected those gentle waters, verse 7, therefore the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the Euphrates, that great river in Western Asia. And those mighty floodwaters are the king of Assyria in all his pomp. It's a picture of a, a river that is overflowing its banks and flooding the land. And you know, as everyone who's played with water does, that water does not stop for imaginary lines. Once the floodgates open, it just runs and fills the land. And that's what's going to happen. It will sweep right on into Judah. Again, it's the opposite of what you expect. Are you going to rely on the gentle stream, which is apparently weak, or the raging river, which is obviously powerful? Judah chose the raging river, the might of Assyria. They rejoice that Israel and Syria will shortly be defeated. But they're celebrating too soon. Because once that river rises over its banks, the floodwaters will not stop at the borders of Judah. They will flow on into it. And so the very thing that Judah trusted instead of the Lord becomes her destroyer. Now that's a sobering thought. That the things we rely on for our safety can be the very things that in the end destroy us. God used Assyria first to deliver his people, to show them that he was faithful. Then he used Assyria to judge them for their unbelief, to show them that their trust was misplaced. There is hope, though. Did you notice it in verse 8? There's a note of restraint. The floodwaters will only rise up to the neck. Judah's head will remain above water. Unlike the northern kingdom of Israel, which was completely swept away by the flood, never to be heard of again, Judah would survive. And the reason that Judah survives, do you see it at the end of verse 8? Judah is safe because the land belongs to Emmanuel. And that name Emmanuel means God is with us. It's showing us that God's presence, nothing else, is what guarantees his people's security. Want to be safe? Make sure God is with you. And it's signaling to us that this baby of Isaiah 8 can at best only be a partial fulfillment of that Emmanuel sign. Because we see that Emmanuel is the sovereign ruler of the land. His identity is filled out more clearly in chapter 9. Come back next week. We'll look at chapter 9. But Assyria is not just coming up against Judah here. 
She is challenging the living God. And that's the reason in this last couple of verses, verses 9 and 10, the nations are addressed. Nations like Assyria. God is saying to them, you can muster all your strength. You can gather the most powerful armies. You can try to come against God's people. But what will happen? It's repeated again and again. They'll be shattered. They can employ the best tactics. They can gather the best arms, the best advisors, but they will not stand. Again, do you see the reason at the end of verse 10? Because God is with us. And so through these images, images of strength in weakness, the baby, the gentle stream, our hope is being directed away from the powers of this world to the apparent weakness of God's faithful king. Many years later, another child named Emmanuel would be born. We read this earlier on. I'll read it for us again. After Joseph had considered whether to break off his engagement to Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. What happened in Isaiah's time happened again in Jesus, but this time in a far richer way. Through Jesus, God came to rescue his people, to set right a world torn apart by sin. The sign of salvation was the birth of a child, a child named Emmanuel. And in Jesus, God came to be with his people, identifying with them, representing them, drawing them into relationship. Here is a king in David's royal line who doesn't just do whatever he feels like, who doesn't just worship whatever power makes him feel strong and safe on the day, the way Ahaz did. Here is a king that is perfectly faithful and righteous. And it's through his faithfulness that he gathers to himself a faithful people to worship the Lord. The thing is, just like the first Emmanuel, this Emmanuel also brought judgment. Because of their own hardness of heart, Many in Israel wouldn't accept the sign. The child was rejected by men. 
And so that very sign of salvation also becomes a sign of destruction. Fear, worry, anxiety. There are good reasons for those things. The world is a dangerous place. We face all sorts of threats. I don't know what keeps you up at night or what you dread when you get out of bed in the morning. But I want to alert you to our greatest danger. It's responding to life the way that King Ahaz does. It's seeing the sign that God gives and ignoring it. It's proudly declaring that we know better. It's scanning the horizon, searching for human powers to ally ourselves with, as if those things can keep us safe. God says we are only safe when he is with us. Safe in a final sense from the uncertainties of this life. Safe from the consequences of our own foolishness and pride. Safe from our rejection of a good and generous God. God hasn't just spoken and said, trust me. Through Jesus, through Emmanuel, he has shown us that he is trustworthy, that he's good, that he cares, that he is doing something about evil and suffering. He has come from heaven to earth to live among people who are sinful, some who spit in his face as if it's nothing. He's come to identify with us, to represent us, to bear the judgment for our lack of trust in his words. He's the one who can make us new who can carry us safely to God's new kingdom. During the summer, we were on holiday in South Africa. Beautiful beaches, warm water, all of the stuff that a good holiday is made of. Now to appreciate the story, you need to know that I can't swim. And at the time, our kids were just learning how to, and they knew that I didn't know how to swim. Here's what happened. Gabrielle, my daughter, and I were in the water. I was less than waist deep, perfectly safe, right? And I was holding her firmly with both my arms. She had her feet on the sand, and as the waves rolled in, I would lift her up so that her head would kind of stay above the water. And we just kept on doing that. It was, it was the most fun. We were both having a blast. Uh, we, were, we were just laughing and, and enjoying it. But we were having so much fun that we got distracted. And we missed this particularly large wave that was sweeping towards us. And in a moment, it swept right over us. We were both absolutely stunned. Uh, it took us a little while to recover. Happily, I managed to keep my feet. I didn't get pulled by the undertow, and I managed to keep on holding her. 
But she recovered pretty, pretty quick, sooner than I did. And her reaction was to tear herself out of my arms and bolt right up the beach. I chased after her and I tried to console her and tell her it was fine, it's okay, you know, we're, we're safe. But she wouldn't have any of us. The only thing she wanted was her mum. See, moments before, she had absolute trust that she was safe in my arms. She's unlikely to make that mistake again. She knows that in a battle of daddy versus the ocean, daddy's going to lose. Learn from her. Make sure that whatever you think is keeping you safe isn't a weak man who can't swim. Make sure that it is this king, God with us. Because in Jesus, God is not just with us, he's for us. And so I really want you to celebrate this Christmas. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever the circumstances, whatever you happen to be battling, celebrate. Not because you've got it all together. Not because you can see a clear way through it. But because you know that your trust is in the right place. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Maybe as I've been speaking, you've realized that your trust has been misplaced. And you want to turn to this Emmanuel. If that's you, why don't you join me quietly in your heart as I pray? I'll say the words slowly so that you can repeat them quietly if you want to. Lord, I don't understand it all, but I know that I need you. I admit that I've lived life independently of you. I've sought my safety in things that can never finally protect me. Thank you that in Jesus, God is with us and has acted to rescue me. Please forgive me for ignoring you and living life my way. Please take control of my life and help me to live with Jesus as my King. Amen.